Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And, you know, I was disheartened but not surprised to see... A statue of George Floyd in Manhattan be defaced by some low-life skateboarder bitch. Yeah, well, he was he was moving by on a skateboard. I, I don't I don't mean to culturally dismiss skateboarders in particular, but this was the mode of transport that he was using as he was moving past the statue, as if George Floyd hasn't suffered enough hasn't been hurt enough but now there's a memorial to him and you gotta throw something on it what is wrong with you yes i mean you have to see him as inhumane ergo black people as inhumane to think he doesn't either he doesn't deserve a statue or it's okay for me to just throw because I don't I don't know that white people are throwing stuff on Dr. King statues, right? I think that he's presented as like, you know, he's the acceptable Negro that they that we want them to be. Don't attack his image. But the George Floyd's but we also see the Emmett Till sign. It's getting it, shot up. It's behind bulletproof glass. Right. Right. Like I mean that 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 in and of itself and that and the the bulletproof glass for Emmett Till was put in place I don't know decades after after he was murdered. And so you think to yourself to have that level of hate still like is it being directed at Emma Till no much in the same way that I don't think the paint splattering is being directed at George Floyd or George Floyd's family I think that it's being put at black people in general right like you don't matter even when you erect statues in 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 remembrance of your life or in significant uh, in significant reminder to how you were murdered we're here to remind you that you don't matter. Yeah. And what got me about the George Floyd incident is that his brother, right, who we had, who we, and Mm-mm. I forgive me because I forget his name, Mm-mm. but his brother that we have, you know, followed throughout the yeah. Derek Chauvin trial, 
you know, said to the media in response to to the vandalism that he would be willing to meet with the person. No. Right. No. Uh, to sit down with them. And I'm saying, at what fucking point do we decide that, like, I don't actually care to offer you an olive branch. You don't think that this person didn't know what they were doing, how hurtful it was, how disgusting it was, and that if only we were to hold their hand, if only we would once again turn ourselves into the fucking Sherpa for civil rights, Mm -hmm. that then you would somehow come to your senses and say, my God, I'm so sorry. Now I'm going to erect all of these statues. This is like the magic negro respectability politics sort of gold medal shit right (laughs) yes like if i am the ultimate giving lovely humane person who turns the ultimate cheek then you will see my humanity and Mm. together Mm. we can understand that this was wrong and let's just be friends No, fuck that. I don't want George Floyd's brother meeting with this person, this cretin, as if redeeming him is possible or even valuable, as if the two of them should sit on the same plane, like that shitty beer summit where Barack Obama would sit at an equal table with a fucking Cambridge cop who fucked up. As if, right, remember, was it, was it Botham John's family who is apologi- who is accepting the apology? They hugged her. I mean, like. They hugged her. Like, what, this don't is, hug her. And, and this is what, this is what I don't understand. And, and I feel like, but this is the role that America is comfortable seeing black people in. Mm-hmm. It is in the role of begging for our humanity. That's where I believe that respectability politics falls alongside is the begging. Just see me. Let me just be so nice to you. Let me be so open. Oh, it's it's the fucking Van Jones going on a town hall, wanting to sit down and talk to white people and say, oh, but we can come together. No, we actually fucking can't. You want me dead and I want me alive, mm-hmm. right? Like, so where are we coming together at this place for me to what? Move back into a, a state of being docile, right? to the white man moving myself from off of the sidewalk, right? Living in fear because that is exactly what they want. I I just, I don't, because maybe I... I didn't grow up in the church. Maybe, maybe I don't, I, I am not in the way of Christianity to believe that like I must accept everyone mm. to my table. The civil rights movement was extremely powerful, but one of its offshoots or maybe one of its children as we moved forward into the 70s was the notion of respectability politics. And if we are perfect mm-hmm. Negroes mm-hmm. and show up suited Mm -hmm. and polite and genteel we will be accepted if we get enough degrees if we speak perfectly then we will be and then so we can create equality by being perfect in their eyes and one of the beautiful things of the let's call it the black lives matter generation Mm -hmm. is it's about unapologetic blackness we are not kowtowing we are not accepting your rules as what we have to do to be equal to you, we need you to show up and uh, accept us showing up in the way that we want to, be it gigantic hair, queer, trans, whatever it is, deal with us right. the way that we want to be seen. And, and 
that is a much more powerful thing. I definitely grew up being taught, we didn't use the term respectability politics, but that was the expectation. That if we if we perform blackness in a certain respectable, dignified way, then we will be able to move up in society. But over time, we learned that gives away a lot of your soul. Yes. And I'm not willing to make that transfer, to make that deal anymore. I'll give away a bunch of me. I'll let you gentrify my soul in order to get somewhere. No, like I need to be my whole self in this institution. Or what have we accomplished at all? This show is part. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions. Questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities. Healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country. Immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun. And candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. of the Pro-Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with Representative us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now, until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. You know, they created, white America created this entire show, right? This entire theatrics. 
uh, of, of white supremacy, of the Negro, of the other, right? And we have been performing inside of this, not really knowing the lines, not really being given any direction whatsoever, but we are just meant to tap dance. And at some point in time, you know, it it's just enough. I don't, you know, I, I was thinking about this uh, going back to being in elementary school and thinking about Black History Month at an all-white school, Lord help me, how how my sister and I were able to make it through. But, you know, when you would put up the pictures, you know, those little cardboard cutouts that you would put up of Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King, and, you know, we talk about the respectable Negro. And I think back to myself now, these were the ones that we were fed because it what there were so many iterations of black folks from uh from being on the enslaved ships till now that said fuck you to the man they were just gunned down they were lynched right mm. they were they were economically disadvantaged right forced into poverty, but there has always been resistance. I think what is beautiful about the Black Lives Matter generation at this point is that I think that there is just enough of us, enough of us that are tired, that are tired of the tap dance, that are tired of the the assimilation, that don't want to be tolerated. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to show you that I am just like you. I'm actually not. And that's a fucking okay. That was to me part of the large problem with tolerance and assimilation was like, and I did the same thing on the front lines for same sex marriage. It was like, Oh, look at us. We're just like you heterosexuals. We just want to get married and want to have kids and, you know, want, want to, want to have a ceremony and want to do these things and have all of the benefits. And it's like, here's the thing. We're not just like you. I'm fucking queer. And that's like a difference. And I don't need to be like you in order to be treated with dignity and respect. You make me think about learning about Rosa and King and we revered them. They are incredibly important figures, but there's a reason why the white institutions taught about them and their grace and their appeasement and their traditional sense of dignity and taught didn't really talk about the Panthers and Malcolm X. And when I started to learn about them, I was like, okay, this moves my spirit. This is exciting. I like this form of resistance. I like their aggression, their anger, their refusal to kowtow. That is what moves me. And that is what I want to see more from us. What I see in the Black Lives Matter generation, that that sense of like, you know, we are we are a dominant cultural force and we're not kowtowing to what you want. We're not going to, we're not going to sit at a lunch counter and let you uh, pour crap on us to show you, you know, like Gandhi, like, no, we're not doing that anymore. And this sort of, I don't want him meeting with him at all. They are not, they're not, they're not equals. He's not worthy of, he deserves, he deserves to be in jail. In prison. Not, be at a lunch table with George Floyd's brother having a conversation. I don't really, you know, because I don't really, I don't really believe that we can work out racism through conversating with people in a calm way. The problem is not uh, that we are divided in certain ways. 
The problem is that there are systems that produce our oppression. The, the problem is that uh, there are there's a massive wealth gap. There is the war on drugs. There are these these ways that our oppression continues. We need to deal with that. And dealing with that does, is the predecessor to dealing with that is not talking to every racist and winning over their heart and telling them it's okay. We don't want to take your women. We don't want to take your apartment. We don't want to take over your school. We're nice. You can believe like fuck that. If after all this time you still don't trust our character in our soul, fuck you. You know, it's so funny because you sound angrier than I do today. <laughs> um, and I appreciate that. But also, for it. I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to disparage. I want to go back to something that you said, because I don't want to disparage those that practice nonviolence on behalf of the rest of us that took the billy club and the beatings and all of those things, because I do think that it takes a incredible amount of power and courage to be nonviolent in the face of violence. As they say, I also recognize that that can only take us, but so far, sure. right. That we have, we're, we're past the place where I'm trying to get you to see my humanity. I actually don't care. I just want you to recognize the loss. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. I want that if you break the law, that then you are treated like the criminal that you are. We are this week, Torre, is nine months since the insurrection. Nine months. Oh, you mean the, the MAGA insurrection? Yes. It's mm -hmm. been nine months. One six. One six. It's been nine months. And do you know the longest sentence that these people that got that we saw storm the castle with guillotines and oh, bats and all of these things? The longest sentence that they have received so far is four months, mm. four months for attempting to overthrow the government. So when we look at oh. these images and these pictures and I'm saying, I don't care for you to see my humanity anymore. I'm not trying to convince you, but I want that when you do some fucking hot shit like this, when you perform terrorism to be treated like a fucking terrorist and not a wayward tourist that lost their goddamn way. Mm. Right. One of the things that I've heard a lot on Twitter is that George Floyd doesn't deserve a statue because he was a criminal. And I've heard this from black people and white people, mostly white people, but there's definitely some black people who love to say this. And it's highly offensive because, no, George does not have a statue because of the entirety of his life. He's not Nelson Mandela. He's a statue because of the last moment of his life and how he died and what that represents and how the one of the cornerstone values of this country is that government should treat the citizens with dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. That's that we left a king who was not treating us right and said we're going to set up a democracy where government works for the people, right? That is now whether or not that has happened is another conversation, but that is a core value in America. Mm -hmm. The police are the most tangible uh, representation of government that you will have in your life. They are the, on a regular basis, right, yeah. The government mm -hmm. that you see and touch on a regular basis. They are supposed to treat you with respect and dignity, even if you are a criminal. And it's not that George Floyd was 
beaten badly while he was in prison for doing something horrific, which happens, which would be wrong. Mm -hmm. But that's not what happened. Right. This officer perhaps had no idea what was what his past was. Yeah. And he should not be beaten in the street like an animal because of something that happened. And especially in a country where you can shoot up the school, where you can shoot up the church, where you can shoot up the movie theater and be peacefully handcuffed and escorted to your car. Mm. And get Burger King on the way to the prison. We find peace and dignity and a lack of outrage when mass murderers are peacefully escorted to prison. And yet George Floyd is physically destroyed, tortured in the street over a potentially counterfeit bill. And that's and but because something happened in his life years and years earlier, he does that doesn't make any sense. But it does because it feeds back into respectability politics and that we need perfect victims yes. in order to have our humanity cared about. Yes. Right. We need to know that so and so lost their life, but they were on their way to Yale. Or that, you know, they were uh, raising all of, you know, all their their family's kill, kids because they were orphaned. We need that story, right? That That is part of how. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from Mac Blue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We sell these tales. The problem with a George Floyd and the problem, for instance, who also just had uh, an anniversary, the murder of Makia Bryant, is, again, they're not perfect victims, right? Because Makia was not, you know, a thin, lighter skin uh, black woman, because black girl, excuse me, because uh, she was in foster care, because she was in the act of self-defense, mm. which we damn sure don't want to see black people do. We want to see you, as Ellie Mistal said one time, we want George Floyd died in the way that America wants to see us. Mm. On our backs, on our knees, begging for our lives, mm. not standing on our feet, defending our dignity. 
right? And our humanity. Like that's, that's, the, that's the problem is that even for ourselves, we want this perfection to be able to hold up and say, see, see, I'm worthy. I mean, the notion of the perfect victim, we've been talking about that for a very long time. It's far too high a bar to ask of us. And even if we should meet it, like Tamir Rice, mm. like Emmett Till, mm. it's still not respected. There's Mm-mm. still something wrong. I mean, when, when could we ever be a perfect victim except to be a small child? And that is, you know, we shouldn't have to be a perfect victim in order to get justice. I, when, when Kamala Harris was still in the Bay, I had lunch with her and some mutual friends And one of the things that she said that stood out to me is that the law is not here only to protect angels. Mm -hmm. Law is also here to protect criminals. Mm -hmm. There are ways that perhaps uh, the police should behave toward people who are suspected criminals. They are also a protected class. The police don't get to just be the the jury and executioner because they don't like someone. And we get that too much from the police when we're black. We get an entirely different brand of policing when we're black. And whether or not we have committed a crime, it does not then justify it. No, because the law, to her point, the law is supposed to work for everyone, not just the perfect. Because if we were all perfect, then we wouldn't need laws, right? We would be living in some type of utopia. But the reality is, is that we don't. And I just... You know, it pains me to think that George Floyd's brother thinks that he would need to meet with somebody who would deface his, that, that that would be like, you know, remember that right after George Floyd's death, on top of there being multiple uprisings, there was also a TikTok and Instagram challenge that white people were doing, right? So you wanna meet with all those motherfuckers too? Right. As if they don't know what they're doing, as if they didn't understand how that would look. They knew exactly. And I said, let's stop infantilizing white people. Let's stop us in 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 treating them as if they don't know any better when we fucking know that they do. Right. And so it, it, it I, I just I think that we are at a tipping point place for our liberation where for black liberation, it does not look like white acceptance. And that is the difference with this generation of movement from past generations. That is my humble opinion, is that I no longer think that our cause for liberation is rooted in whether or not white people see our humanity. It's it's just rooted in the truth of our humanity, full stop. I mean, I think that true liberation, part of true liberation involves breaking away from white centrism. Mm-hmm. And and if you need them to see your humanity, then you are still approaching this in a white-centric mm-hmm. way. You need to remove the white centrism from your mind altogether and say, what is it that we need 
And the answer is not going to be to beg each person and to show each person how human and dignified and lovely and white we can be. Come on. It's got to be more than that. If our liberty is not based on some sort of black centrism, I don't want it. I don't want it. I don't want it. And that and, and that that to me is going back to Baldwin, going back to Du Bois, going back to all of these people who have who stated this at so many different points during our history and during our time that like we want to believe. And the truth is that I think for the health or whatever that means about our democracy, that our futures, right, our, our present is intertwined with one another. Our fates are intertwined, as they would say. But I don't think that our liberation is. Because I think that for Black people, our liberation has been too tied to white expectation, mm. right? Mm. And, 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 and white, white expectation and also white benevolence. And that is no longer, I, I feel like it can't. It cannot have anything to do with our liberation anymore. It has to be for freedom's sake, right? And I think at at all costs, right? To remove ourselves like from uh from the white gaze, as as, as dude said, um, uh uh on on black as fuck to move yourself. Like I don't want the gaze right anymore. I don't like what how you see me is no longer how I see myself. Right. But it was the only way for us to see ourselves. I mean, I think it's really important for folks to really interrogate. Where are you making decisions based on what will white people say Mm. and remove that from your thought process? I remember when the movie Precious came out and Precious was a great movie Mm -hmm. and I will die on that hill. And a lot of black people were like, Oh my God, what will white people say when they see a fat black girl running down the street with a bucket of fried chicken that she just stole? I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I, it never occurred to me because I don't go into the movies with my white glasses on thinking, what will white people think when they see? I saw this rapper the other day on Instagram saying he doesn't want to use the word nigga in his rhymes because he doesn't want white people to think that it's okay to use that word. Now, you know, obviously we can disagree on the outcome of his math. (laughs) And he has the right to say he doesn't want to use that word. That's fine. Some people have decided that. Some people say they are using it in their art and in their life. Some people say they're not. Fine. But I take issue with how you got the answer. Yes, yes. You're not using the word nigga because white people will X what? No. As opposed to I don't want to use it anymore because I am thinking about it in a different way. I feel differently about it. That is white centrism. Mm -hmm. And that we need to defeat. I don't make decisions based on what will white people think. I don't have opinions because what will white people feel when they see that i don't base my art based on that and you notice it too when people say things like everybody feels like this and it's like 
you're not talking about everybody. Remember, I was on MSNBC <laughs> once talking about Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. And the anchor said, NFL fans are mad or don't want to see people kneeling. I was like, well, the black, black ones, ones do. do. Right. I definitely want to see some niggas kneeling. And if you're not kneeling, what is the problem? Why are right. you not? Because your jersey, I do not want, sir. Thank now, you very much. White fans are clearly upset about it. But you didn't say that. You didn't say the and 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 so whenever we even allow conversation that suggests everybody, quote unquote, equals white people, that is white centrism, right? At others us. We need to be vigilant about these ways of thinking, these ways of conversating, these ways of perceiving the world that come from us, that come from our the people around us, that come from even white people. Because this white centrism is part of the problem. I think that it is the problem. I think that it is the problem. And that our work in terms of how we liberate ourselves in a moment that finds us so confined in so many ways, so oppressed, so depressed in so many ways, is to unpack that, is to ask ourselves, like, why am I moving this way? Why am I speaking this way? Why am I showing up this way? Is it because I want to? I mean, that's shit. I'm asking myself that now about things that I buy. Am I doing it or is, did Mark Zuckerberg tell me that I wanted that sweatshirt? Mm. Like, let's all be real about that. But the the real life uh, actual algorithm and thought around this is like, how am I being moved or am I moving myself? Mm. Right. And th those are the questions to interrogate. Thank you for listening to Democracy Ish. I wish we could get to the basis of why you bought those cute boots that you're wearing today. <laughs> I hate Tory. Everybody did, knows did this, Did Mark right? Zuckerberg tell you to buy those no, boots? No, Gucci did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Danielle Moody. And maybe we'll be back next week. I don't fucking know. I don't know. If, where, if, where, where, where would the white gays not take me? I know, right? If President Zuckerberg uh, says we can come back. I guess we'll be back on somebody's platform. <laughs> Here's hoping.